Hey, I'm Ruben from Dub. Welcome to Connection Loop, our actionable podcast about building businesses with daily human connections. Connection Loop features long form interviews with fascinating people in sales, marketing, and beyond. Enjoy today's episode and learn more about Dub at dub.com. Hey guys, it's Ruben from Dub. I have Spencer Huang on the line. He's a data guy and he's a sales guy. This is the new evolution of business people. There's so many different types of skill sets that we have that we combine to kind of leverage to become the leaders that we want to become. Spencer, how did you get into data and then sales? And I know you're a Trojan, so fight on. What's your Fight story? on. Fight yeah. on. Hey, Ruben, thank you so much for inviting me. You know, I, I got a pretty interesting uh, story. I didn't start out in sales. You know, I, I think as uh, most Asian kids, you know, my parents pushed me to either go down the engineering route or to become a doctor. So, but I did go down the engineering route and studied uh, electrical computer engineering. And then just through my whole career, it just, it morphed me into uh, sales. I, I liked talking with people. I liked helping people. And, uh, you know, I can go into more details around that, but yeah, it, it's just been a combination of my journey. Nice. So what would you say the biggest trends are right now in data and how it kind of affects all of us from a business, from a consumer perspective? Yeah. So the big buzzwords, and I hate to say them on the air because everyone's going to be like, yeah, that's, you know, we got to double down on that. But, you know, you've, you've heard them, right? Machine learning, artificial intelligence, right? These are the, the things that people are always talking about. But at the end of the day, um, you know, the trends come down to data, right? And data, you know, they, it holds the insights. It, you know, the people are saying data is the new oil, right? But, you know, I like to say, you know, have you heard the expression garbage in, garbage out? Oh, yeah. G-I-G-O. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, Data, you, you got to have good data too, right? Before you can actually do anything with it. But yeah, the trends are assuming you have good quality data, you can start to find trends in the data and then apply those to your business. Because in a way, you know, although humans, um, we like to think we make our own decisions. I mean, we can essentially be segmented or bucketed into different profiles. And generally, uh, those profiles or those segments make similar decisions. And of course, the big businesses are going to capitalize on that. Um, I think the positive effect of that is we can then start to personalize or begin to offer things that really meet your likes, right? And I think that's kind of, that all comes from the data. Right. So what is your capacity right now from a sales perspective? Yep. Um, so my capacity is, and this is the combination where I was talking a little bit about my background, right, as an engineer, right? So uh, studied engineering, you know, as soon as I got out of school or during school, I realized man, I, I suck at coding, right? The guy next to me said could code so much better. And so early on in my, um, in my college years, I knew, okay, well, let me just get the degree, but there's gotta be a way that I can get out without coding, right? And so when I graduated, I, went, I did work for a software company, PeopleSoft, which got a lot of heart and love for. It's gotta, gotta get higher so you can see that <laughs> down there. Um, but I actually went into the consulting side, which was really interacting with the customer um, understanding their needs and um, applying the technology to business problems. And so um, that's kind of how I got started. And so from the sales standpoint, I kind of like my evolution went always in front of the customer, always took the mentality of I want to help the customer apply the technology, solve those business problems. And part of it too, when I was in consulting and I was cleaning up the mess that these sales guys would, would, would they would make all these false promises. The software could you know, take you to the moon and back, right? And I was the guy who had to sit there and implement it and be like, dude, that sales guy took you for a ride, right? So um, I kind of, you know, through some of that, I, I came to the realization, you know, that I wanted, you know, it's, it's about integrity. 
Um, I understand the technology and I really wanted to sincerely help the customer and being able at the front line, getting into the sales side, talking to the customer about what the software does or what the solution does um, and how they can help them. I thought, you know, sales is the best place to be. So that's, that's kind of how I've, I've gotten there and um, representing, you know, cloud software solution data products uh, that enable these businesses to drive those insights so they can make those better decisions or be able to gain better insights. So what does customer empathy mean? Yeah, that's a big one. And I, I don't know if there's a formal, I should like Google it so I can get the real official definition. I just, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was, I've been playing with that because that's been on my LinkedIn profile. I, I think I had originally customer focused or customer obsessed. And then just recently, I was just going down this path and thinking, what is it like to be in the customer's shoes, right? And to be able to, um, you know, customers feel pain all the time, right? Or the clients, right? And they're looking for, you know, someone to help them, right? And so whenever I'm in interaction with a customer, I always have to put myself in the customer's shoes. And, you know, it's about build, building long-term relationships, right? It's not a one and done kind of thing. And so when I say customer empathetic, it's about, hey, if I had his or her job and, you know, a lot of times their job is on the line or maybe they're getting paged at 3 a.m. Uh, can I say the word paged? Like a pager? Or they're getting called or slack. <laughs> uh, you, you cannot say that. <laughs> um, but, pinged. I think pinged would be appropriate. <laughs> better word. I hope I didn't reveal my age. <laughs> oh, I had a pager. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. So did I. <laughs> but they're getting pinged at 3 a.m., right? And, you know, it's taking time away from their, you know, their, their sleep, their family. You know, I want to be in that person's shoes so I can help them so that they can get a good night's rest or they can be there for their family. And and I want to be able to represent a product that can solve that problem. So customer empathy, I think that's kind of the new way of sales uh, or it should be the way of sales um, should happen is, is kind of what I'm all about. Nice. And you mentioned a couple of really important types of technology, you know, machine learning, artificial intelligence. They're all centered around data. They're all centered around basically smarter, better decisions that streamline processes, that mitigate the number, uh, the requirement, the amount of resources, the amount of money, and then maximize the output. What does that mean, though? Like, what does that actually look like? I, these are all terms, and they're yeah. jargon to most people. And you know, in our daily flows as as professionals, we're going through our lives, and we're communicating with people. We're, yes. we're connecting. We have a tool stack that we're using. What does that mean? I mean, what does the future look like? I mean, if we were to just get a glimpse into the future with access to all this tech, how does it help us and how does it overall improve our lives? Well, help us or, or it could hurt us, right? So well, there you go. Yeah, my wife, she always talks about Terminator and, you know, rise of the machines. And, you know, we have the Alexa that's always listening to us at home, right? Well, it shouldn't be listening to us at home. Um, I mean, it, the future is here today. And it's just, it's, I'm trying not to take the scary approach about it. Uh, but I can't help because I, I interact with our customers and I see the amount of data that they have. And it's coming from, you know, when a person's using their phone, right? All that geolocation data is being pumped up into the cloud. You know, where they're touching on the screen, you know, how long they're sitting on the screen, you know, where they're moving their mouse. I mean, all that stuff. And hopefully I'm not scaring your listeners, but all that stuff is being tracked, right? And, you know, we don't think about it, right? Like, uh, you know, I'm swiping, swiping my mouse right now, but you know, someone's capturing that data. You know, they're wondering why did that user, you know, move the mouse up to the top right corner, right? Mm -hmm. And and ideally, the goal really is to be able to, and as I mentioned before, right, to create a better experience for you, right, to automate some processes, right. So, 
you know, if I'm moving my mouse to the top right, it, maybe it realizes that um, I want a better view of my desktop, right? And maybe it'll do it for me if I'm doing it every day at 12 o'clock. It knows, hey, this guy's maybe, you know, it's a lunchtime and maybe he needs to move it because he's looking at his calendar. I don't know, right? But that's where the, those patterns go to. And, you know, if we can automate some of the um, monotonous or the mundane work, it then allows us to focus on the, the more important stuff in life, right? And, and I think you just mentioned it, right? You're using Alexa all the time because you don't want to have to sit there and, you know, have to look at your calendar all the time and or certain things that, you know, just that you could be using that time for something else, right? And so I think ideally, you know, um, I was actually at a trade show uh, a couple of weeks ago and it was all around automation and this new technology, RPA, um, I forget what it stands for. Is it robotic process automation? Have you heard of that before? RPA? I have not. No. Okay. Hopefully I, I got it correctly. Um, but it's about some of the daily tasks that people are doing. And, and of course, they're attacking industries like um, some of the, the, the dinosaur industries like legal or insurance, where there's a lot of paperwork, right? And where they still maybe, maybe use the fax machine, right? <laughs> and a fax comes in and it has to be scanned and it has to be, and there's compliance issues, right? And in the old days, we used to like hire an intern, right, to do that, right? And it was kind of like brainless work. And I, I was an intern. I did a lot of brainless work, right? Um, but the machines or some of the machine learning and, and some of the AI, let them take that work. So then the intern can actually focus on things that are not brainless, right? And actually can learn new skills to apply to his or her career, right? And so I think that's the major first step that we're going to see. And um, I don't think it's going to take away jobs from people, you know, who actually have a strong skill set. But yeah, for some people who are, go back to the brainless work, yeah, this is the kind of work that I see that the future will be taking over. You know, my first uh, internship as a kid was alphabetizing tapes at MTV. Oh, <laughs> Very cool. Well, first I was going to say, well, being at MTV was probably like all, was worth it, right? Unpaid, unpaid. Unpaid. But, but yeah. alphabetizing, right? That was brainless work, but you probably look forward to it because you were at MTV, right? And that was kind of cool. You know what? For about 36 seconds, I wanted to get into the entertainment industry, and I figured, hey, MTV was the place to start. I don't think MTV is totally relevant anymore, obviously, but it was, it was a really good foray into the industry, and I realized at that point that I needed to be in tech and that, you know, media was great and it's fun and I absolutely adore the industry being in Los Angeles, but I needed to get myself into a situation where I could be cl at least on the forefront or close to that of what kind of the next generation of business and commerce and, you know, all this great stuff that we're talking about. So I, I'm glad that I, you know, ultimately uh, couldn't stand that job and then realized that <laughs> I, I, I didn't want to climb that ladder. So um, the yeah. rest is history, I suppose. But so let me ask you this kind of specifically. So in your day-to-day -day activities, what do you wish you could automate? In my day-to-day -day activities. So this is a challenge for me because I'm kind of the person where I like to be hands-on because I like to see everything. And so maybe this might be a struggle, right? Where I'll say, I don't want to automate anything because I, I kind of like, like the control, right? Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, going back to the principle I said, where it can free me up so I can spend more time with my family, right? Or I can spend more time, you know, doing things that are important. Um, yeah, I think, you know, getting up in the morning and the first thing I do, which is this terrible, no one judge me. Right. But I sit there and I, I grab my phone. Right. And right. And I know I shouldn't, that's not the first thing I should be touching, but I grab my phone because I, I look at my calendar. I have to look at the, what are the top emails for the day? And so I don't know if there's something that could automate that. And so I wouldn't have to look at it unless it was a true emergency. And, um, you know, I would love that to be automated. Um, that would at least, you know, 
give me and i don't know i'm just i'm thinking so okay so that's fair so let me ask you this so you said i know that i shouldn't look at my phone we all look at our phone yeah. as the first thing in the morning yeah it's very i mean lately as of very lately i've been putting my phone away and i've been actually having it in the kitchen and having it just on the charger there so that it's not the first thing i look at it's the second thing that i look at after going to the restroom but i know what you're saying but why can't we do that and what is the better alternative for well, you? I guess that's my question. Yeah, so I think it's the struggle. Now I'm putting two and two together. And it's because I, you asked me about customer empathy, right? And honestly, I can say I'm looking at my phone because I want to see if any of my customers are in trouble mm. or if there's a fire going on. And it's not because, yeah, I want to look at my phone because I want to go on Facebook and see what my buddy's doing this weekend. No, it's not because of that. And it's not because, oh, my boss wants me to get him something. You know, on occasion, maybe that happens. But... It's really big up going back to the customer. Now, now that we've been talking, I think that's the thing. And if, I don't know if there's a way to automate, um, you know, somehow if the customer is going through a difficult time. I know there's CRM out there and all that stuff, but something that a direct line or something that I can be aware of what the customer is going through, I think that would be great. Um, you know, I agree with you. I, I mean, I feel the same way. The thing that I always think about is, is there a fire? Is there something going yes. on that I need to resolve, you right. know? Because is it anxiety that I feel? Is it curiosity? Uh, it, it's definitely empathy. It's definitely yeah. that. But it's also, you know, self-preservation. It's protection. I want to make sure that I get to whatever I need to get to so that I can feel free in order to carry on with my day, you know? Because, yes. you know, w one of the biggest challenges that I get when I hold my phone is that if my kid's there and he, he wants to use it, and I say, well, if he's going to use my phone, and I actually, lately I've been encouraging him to use my phone because he's been doing some really good stuff. He's been playing chess and he's been mm. watching videos on how to kind of master the Rubik's Cube and speed cubing and stuff like this. So he's kind of moved away from the Ryan videos. He's six years old. He's moved <laughs> away from the, you know, hey, today we're going to be looking at goo. <laughs> you know? He's kind of moved away from those videos. But I think the point of my story is, though, is that sometimes I feel, uh-oh, if I lose this device for a couple of minutes, what is the information that I'm yeah. going to lose access to while I don't have the device? And it's really unfair to him. So I realized it's actually fear. It's actually a fear of nothing. It's a fear of something that doesn't exist. You know, if you if you fear someone that's going to come and um, poke you with a knife and that person doesn't exist, then you've created that fear, you know? So anyways, I've kind of sort of worked around that and I've realized that, you know, if I need to gain access, if I need to, you know, put my attention towards something that I just need to do a better job of precogging and preparing for things like that, like having better security and having better project management, mm. having better yeah. you know, means of communication. And since I've made that choice, it's kind of liberated me. You know, um, that's interesting. And I think I'm relating that back to my life because if I have to look at my phone because there's an emergency happening at the customer, then maybe I'm not doing a good enough job setting up the support structure you know, in place, right? Why am I the, the one man? I shouldn't be the one man Rambo, right? I mean, they need to call me in, you know, all the time, right? And so actually that's probably on me and to put in a better process so that the fires aren't always hitting me. Yeah, maybe occasionally they will hit me, but there's a support structure in place that I can feel comfortable waking up in the morning, not having to reach my phone to see if there's a fire. So I don't know. Um, I, I think you just sparked that and I, maybe I'm going to take that as a little nugget that I will probably apply and, and how I can kind of liberate myself and actually share the responsibility with my team. Well, I think what you just did is, is really commendable because it's something that I am constantly thinking about and it's, it's accountability and it's self accountability. Yep. 
And it's kind of looking within. It's looking within ourselves to say, how can we become better people? What can we do as individuals, yes. as professionals, as, as businesses to make better choices that improve our lives and those around us? So, you know, what are some examples that you've kind of gone through with taking, being proactive, taking yep. action to improve your life? What are some things that you have done yep. and what are some learnings that you can give to people in that journey? You know, you have an engineering background. You've got an MBA from one of the greatest schools on the planet. USC, fight on. Fight on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ruben, that's great. And I, I really appreciate you asking that question because um, only recently have I started to take that approach. And I think if uh, the listeners want to cut over my LinkedIn profile, you can kind of see um, I actually never really utilized LinkedIn except for I thought LinkedIn was mainly, hey, you know, when a recruiter wants to find a new job, they'll hit me up on that. And that's the, the basis that I really used it for. And um, more recently in the past, uh, few months, I've actually started to give back to the community. And I actually thought for the longest time I had nothing to, to I had no value. I felt like I had no value or nothing to share back. And, um, you know, now that I'm kind of middle-aged, um, hopefully I'm not too old. I, you know, I've come to realize you know, I actually do have some experience that I can share. And so if, you know, going back to, if you looked at my LinkedIn profile, I've actually started to take a more proactive approach, started to publish some of my, you know, experiences, some of my learnings, um, but I think last month I published an article and I was just talking about um, just a, a situation, just my first job at PeopleSoft and uh, what a great leader uh, the CEO was. And I published it and it was all around, you know, leadership. And um, I just didn't really think much about it. And I'm at like 47,000 likes, right? It was just like I wrote it, put it out there and boom, I was like, oh my gosh, this thing, this thing went viral. Uh, prior to that, there was an article I wrote where I was just at a Trader Joe's and um, there was a, a situation where something bad happened and I published that and that went viral too. So I guess my point is um, I'm starting to write more about some of the, my daily experiences, relating it back to kind of my, you know, my work experiences. And I'm being very encouraged because it's, it's being very, uh, people are relating to it. They're posting wonderful comments about it. And so it's encouraged me to start to take some of the things that I thought were maybe low value or even common sense. Actually, I just posted one today, just about ready to publish a framework that I call ALO, um, Ask, Listen, Observe, and Empathize. Mm. And it's a framework that, I mean, you've mentioned it too, right? You know, you were talking and then I just internalized something that you said. And, and it encompasses all of that. And I'm about to publish it. It's a very early release. And I'm kind of scared because I've never published any kind of methodology or framework. But I've been trying to go down that path where Hopefully, I can encourage others to do the right thing or have better interactions. Um, I hope that kind of, you know, it's it's a first step. I don't think it's the, the full step or, you know, where I'm going to go, but hope that's a, that's a good positive sign. And, uh, you know, I'm glad you asked that question. Allo, I really like that. Um, hit me with the four words again. Um, a for ask, L for listen, O for observe, and E for empathy or empathize. All right, there it is, guys. That's a trademark. Don't mess with that. That's that's Spencer's. <laughs> I really like that. That's really good. So, so you've written four articles on LinkedIn, and one of them has received over 47,000 likes, which means it's probably received hundreds of thousands of views because not yeah. all people like, obviously. Right, right. And then you wrote some other stuff. So what was your process to get that much reach, that much visibility? I mean, it's not like you've been writing every day oh. for the last year. You just decided to pick a couple of topics, yep. 
stream of consciousness, you know, you put your research into them, you put them out there, and then they resonated with people like crazy. What what was that process like? And how can how can we all do that? Yeah, no. So I want to encourage your listeners. Um, I was that that kid, and this is why I also went to engineering, right? Where on the SATs, I was like in the 700s, and my verbal was like, maybe I shouldn't even reveal it, but it was in, in the low fives, right? Even even like I think the one time I took it, it was in the 400s. So I was like, I'm a terrible writer. And I'm terrible at grammar, and I'm ter- my wife even tells me, like, you know, like, you can't put this out. It, it's, it sucks, right? Um, so I just want to encourage your, your listeners, don't worry about your writing. Don't worry about the grammar. Um, as I mentioned before, I, I mean, I wrote because it was something that was very impactful. Um, the first story that I wrote, it was about a, a guy when I was, I mean, I was at Trader Joe's, and he just treated the store clerk like garbage. And you can read that article about it. And I was just like, dude, you know, and I, I actually at that moment, I was like, you know, hey, you don't need to say that to him, right? And then I just wrote about that experience. And then I thought about it. And I was like, when was a time when someone treated me that's like garbage? And then I wrote about an experience where um, even with my USC MBA, um, in the article I, I talked about, actually, I took a job at Chick-fil-A. Mm. And I, you know, I mean, I already had undergrad, you know, computer engineering, MBA. And, uh, you know, and I wasn't doing it for the money. And uh, I was doing it actually for the you know, the learning, right, and how they operate. You know, I was very curious because they were new to Southern California, big buzz. And, you know, as I write in the article, you know, people who looked at me, they're like treating me, I mean, they weren't treating me with a lot of respect because they're like, oh, this is some fast food, you know, employee. But these people didn't know, like, you know, I actually, you know, have these degrees. I have probably, you know, I had a lot of money, you know, I wasn't doing it again, doing it for the money, but but the way they were treating me. So just going back to what I was talking about, I related what I saw recently, you know, when I was at Trader Joe's to an episode that happened in my life. Um, and I put it together and I was like, you know, what can what, what did I learn out of that? What can others learn? And um, I think we as humans, we were all you know, we, we encounter situations like that where people disrespect you or people don't value you or people just misjudge you. And I think that's why it just, it, it took off. It just, people saw it and uh, I think they were encouraged by it. And um, yeah, I don't know what the secret is. If I knew the secret of why it completely took off, that'd be great. But I think that was, that was mainly it. I mean, it's about the content. It's about real stories, authenticity, real learnings. You know, right. I mean, it's, it's an important piece that you write. People should check that out. I mean, encourage you guys to go to Spencer Huang's profile on LinkedIn and search for some of the content. There's four articles. So you had a chance to work with the CEO of PeopleSoft, David. Well, I don't know if I worked with him. I mean, I reported to someone who reported to someone who reported to him. <laughs> I guess. Got but, it. But, but, By but, proxy. Yes. Yes. But, By but, proxy. Yeah. Yes, and um, there's a lot around, um, you know, his kind of general philosophies yes. with people. You know, yes. what what are some takeaways? What are some learnings from that experience working at that company that we can all learn from? Yeah, that was another experience I went through. And since you know, that was my first job out of college, and I've had you know a handful of jobs after that. Um, so first off, I wish I appreciated it more because that was my first job out of school, and I thought all companies were like that, and. Little did I know, right, after, you know, I have still have not found a company with that kind of culture, that kind of leadership, that kind of vision, right? And it's unfortunate. But so back then, um, I should have, again, yeah, that's just kind of a regret. So I tell, I tell the people today, when you find a company that mimics or is like, uh, you know, a, a culture that kind of I write about, um, embrace it, right? And so, you know, to, to your question, you know, what was about it? I mean, Dave Duffield, you even said, right, he's human, he wasn't afraid to share. I mean, I think in some of the meetings, he talked about how his first couple companies, were, they failed, right? And he talked about, um, 
he didn't have a secretary, right? And and he just he I remember him walking around in shorts and sneakers, right? And this is before the whole Silicon Valley. Now everyone walks around in shorts and sneakers, but this is back in the you know the nineties where we were all you know wearing our, our our dress shirts and our slacks, and you know the guy was just keeping it real, right? I guess that's it, just keeping it real. And um, and just by him naming the company PeopleSoft, where he focused on the people, mm. right? And a lot of times companies say that, you know, our values, we value the people. Yeah, I shouldn't judge all, but but they don't really value it like I've seen it valued there. And mm. um, I think there was consistency in what he said at work w- with the consistency with what he did in his personal life. So mm. he would say these things at work, and then you would know about his personal life or read about it, and they were true, right? I think he adopted a lot of kids. He gave a lot of money to, um, you know, to animal welfare. He uh, helped build education school. I mean, he, he was just outside of work. He was the same person. And I think that is just so fantastic where you can just be transparent. You're who you are, um, you know, at work and at home with your family. Hmm. Well, I think what has really become interesting is now our access to data with the monster kind of movement towards personalization, people centricity, customer centricity. There's so many amazing things that we can do by understanding where people are in that journey, in that process, whether they're connecting to us on a business level or whether, you know, it's a shopping experience or whether Alexa's listening to me right now. Well, she's not because she's on (laughs) mute, but... You know, the tailoring that can happen um, has really impressed me. And I think that one of the frustrations that I have generally is that people kind of stop the personalization and Mm. stop that people centricity at layer one. And then it goes back to the automation. It goes back to the generic messaging. It goes back to the bot. It goes back to the, you know, here's everything that people are buying on planet Earth. It stops at some point. There's some sort of a waterfall thing that happens. And you know, what we're trying to do at Dub is we're trying to add personalizations at the first four, five, six levels of the whole customer experience, starting from the brand exposure, just the right. awareness phase, people getting to know us. And then as they enter our funnel, providing personalization, whether it's on the videos or whether it's on the type of content that we're delivering, you know, the social channels that we're driving them to. We think about that a lot and we're still learning. I mean, it's it's a process for us. We're definitely students of this. But I guess my question for you is, how can we as individuals, as companies have data, want to focus on people centricity, want to focus on the best customer experience and do so in a scalable and cost effective fashion? No, you use us to use the word scalable because I was like, yeah, while software and bots are scalable, people, it's hard to scale people. And I think that is the conflict, um, you know, where venture capitalists and Wall Street always want higher and higher profits, right? And, and then, unfortunately, it's pushing that pressure pushes us back down to what you just talked about, the negatives of, well, now it's impersonal and now it's going back to the bots. And I don't know. I, I think at some point, you know, profits shouldn't exceed, you know, it uh, shouldn't be more important than 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 the people and it's unfortunate that's just the world we live in right and um and i wish you didn't use the word scalable because i was about to answer it and then you said scalable and i just (laughs) we cannot scale people it's just um and and i think i go and i go back to the back to peoplesoft where it was about yeah maybe you know he could have you know we could have automated a lot of things but you know at the end of the day it was about being obsessed about the customer getting Mm. you know spending the time with the customer and the relationships and you know what if you do that the profits will come. Maybe they won't come as fast as you know Wall Street likes to see them, but they will come, right? Because at the at the end of the day, we're human, 
and humans need that interaction. We we need, you know, um, we need the touch, right? I remember reading the story where there were like these babies, and they this was probably back in the seventies, and they did this experiment. I think the Soviets didn't, the Americans didn't, but it was the the bad guys did it. We didn't do it, of course, and it was like these babies that were not touched, you know, for the first few months of when they were born. Well, and those babies, you know, as they grew up had, you know, they had some disabilities and they had, you know, learning, you know, just issues. And, and I think it just goes back to who we are as humans, right? We need the touch, whether it's mm. physical, emotional, I mean, we need that connection. And so I don't think there's an answer to that, you know, Ruben, I wish there were. And I think for me, you know, this is a, a value that I hold and hopefully I can carry this to maybe one day when I can, start a company like Dave Duffield, and I keep that really core where it's like, yeah, people are more important than profits. Um, we need to ensure, you know, we're obsessed about the customer, the customer's understanding, you know, and I go back to that, you know, I talk about customer empathy, right? How it's so key, right? And and because we are humans at the end of the day, and yes, data, machine learning, uh, it's coming and it's going to automate some of those tasks, but we have to bring it back to, you know, why are we doing this and how can we deliver, you know, and I hate to use personalization or more touches to mm. and, and real touches back to the customer. Well, I, I mean, I think you touched upon a couple of really interesting points because, you know, historically, if you look at business, you know, dating back to the 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, in the, in the, the sort of golden era of, of Wall Street, if you will, Gordon Gecko, you know, it was all about shareholder value. And that right. was that's what was at the top of the pyramid. It was about right. shareholder value. And, and that worked for, for decades, effectively. It worked. And it wasn't ideal for customers. It right. wasn't ideal for, for, uh, you know, for employees. It wasn't ideal for partners. But for some reason, it worked. And that, I think, over the course of the last three, four, or five decades, that's obviously shifted towards right. you know, people-centricity. And then people, yes. of course, can be broken down into employees, you know, partners, customers, executives, eventually investors. And I think the companies that have not adjusted towards this new model of people centricity they've taken a big hit yep. um, you know i'm sitting in a we work right now you know at, at one point this company was worth tens of billions of dollars 40 50 60 billion dollars upwards right. of 100 billion dollars you know of course that was heavily inflated by valuations that softbank was able to associate because of the name and because right. of the, you know the market value and whatnot but that was corrected right that valuation was corrected on a monster level. Why was it corrected? And I think it was corrected because of the the chasm, the conflict in terms of what was at the top yeah. of the pyramid. Because it wasn't me as a client, as someone that you know rents space from a one of the biggest landlords on the planet. That's not what it was. It was because of conflicts at the shareholder level. So you know, is that going to get fixed at this company or at these types of companies? I don't know, but I, you know, for, for folks that are listening out there, I mean, obviously this is a big macro conversation, but I think it happens at the micro level with the decisions that we make, but we all have the ability to really focus on that people centricity and put people first because at the end of the day, guess what? It's good for business. It's good yep. for us. It's totally yep. mutually beneficial. However you look at it as either from a capitalistic perspective or from, you know, a selfless, like an, a truly altruistic perspective, it's all good. Yeah, and, and you know, Ruben, you know what sucks at the end of the day with this fallout? I just saw the article. Is it uh, is it fifteen percent of WeWork employees? I got to look at the yes. number. Are, are, are getting it's, laid off? It's more. It's more. It's about yeah. It's almost up to twenty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that sucks, right? So now it's the profits first, people last, and now people are losing their jobs, right? And um, and I don't know if that's our general rule, but if you if you pursue that growth, that mega growth, you're right. The correction will come. 
But then, you know, you were pursuing that growth. Well, the people, right? I mean, who suffers in the end? It's going to be those employees, the people, right? And that's that's a sad thing. So it's, you know, I have a funny story to share here. So um, if you guys Google the rise and fall of WeWork, look for a Bloomberg video. It's on YouTube. It's on Facebook. And at about four minutes and 10 seconds, four minutes, 20 seconds in, you're going to notice a clip of me my son and Shannon <laughs> and what the producers, the Bloomberg producers did is they actually grabbed our video that we did on WeWork because we have, you know, dub as a company, we have a daily YouTube channel. It's called the daily dub and we have a lot of fun with it. It's very informal. It's a vlog style, um, daily show and it talks about our updates and education and just kind of fun things that we're doing in our office and around it at, at events and whatnot. But they kind of grabbed, I won't use the word stole, they, they grabbed <laughs> <laughs> they grabbed a, cu- a couple of seconds from our video called What It's Like to Work at WeWork, and they put it in the Bloomberg, the rise and fall of WeWork video. And the reason why that's really funny to me is because Shannon, the creative director here at Dub, and myself, and of course my son by proxy, we were placed and used as kind of like the poster children oh, wow. of of WeWork, you know, it was just as a clip. I mean, there's a yeah. couple of clips that they used. And it was really funny to watch that because, you know, while it's nice to have that earned media, I mean, the video has been viewed millions and millions of times. You know, while it's nice to get that earned media, at the same time, it's like we're scratching our heads and we're saying, okay, well, I guess, you know, we, we're pretty much the the sum and the epitome of what that kind of WeWork, you know, um, tenant looks like where we're, you know, we're just foolish and we're running around town and we're eating s'mores and we're just, you know, bragging about the beer on tap at our office. And it was really funny. I mean, we're not charlatans. We're actually very productive and we don't kind yeah. of lean into the whole ridiculousness of that. But but it was really funny for me. Um, well, well I, I hope I hope they first off they grabbed it. You got paid for that. Right. So I'm not. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. That was a, that was a no permission. No. Oh, case. man. What they did was, I guess, I guess this is the new way of doing it for attribution. Is they just put a, a screen video of the YouTube page, so it says Dub Daily Dub Dub.com. You know, it has all of our stuff, the number of views, the comments, and all that stuff. So I guess that's the new way that big media companies are giving attribution to creators on YouTube, where they don't ask for permission, oh, wow. they don't put a little slug on the bottom with the the person's username. They just take a screen grab of the whole uh, YouTube video in this case. Oh well, I'm I'm sorry to hear that. I just thought you maybe at least you could have got something. But uh, <laughs> and then the the other thing that that you just mentioned, and I hope this is where it's kind of funny. It's almost um, just a. a at odds because they, they actually, if they, if they portrayed you and, you know, your wife and your son, you know, as kind of like this typical, we work, you know, uh, having a great time drinking the beer, the whole dot com bubble, 1.0. <laughs> but, but, it, but I can just talk to you, I'm talking to you right now. You're not like that, right? The, the people that we were corporate maybe were like that. But, mm-hmm. and, and so hopefully, and I'll watch it, hopefully they didn't mix you guys together thinking that it was because of tenants like you that made this thing go big because, there's a separation, right? It's the, yeah. the people are out there. We work, yeah. and then it's it's like hardworking, you know, keeping it real. People like you that are not like that, and you're trying to like you know do do the right thing. So I, hopefully yeah. you weren't you weren't portrayed as part of that whole big party, you know, and and right. No, actually, that's that's a really 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 good articulation. We were not. That's not what okay. it was. I think what it was specifically was it. I think it's like a three part series. Is that founders of this company had this big monster vision. They wanted to live a, a decadent life that was somewhat irresponsible. They were able to, 
share this vision to one of the largest investors on the planet, get billions of dollars yeah. in the form of an investment, and in the process, create a community. And I think the, the word here is a cult almost. Oh, wow. You know, a, but really, community is the softer word. They were able to create a community of people that followed them, that believed in them. I, I believe in the model. I like the WeWork model. We have access to hundreds of WeWorks yep. all over the planet. We've been in the ones in Chicago and San Francisco and yep. New York, every single one. We love it. But we, we'd much rather have that than just a single kind of boring office, right? Especially because we're always shooting videos. But I think there was only one flaw in that whole equation. I agree with every single aspect of that. I agree with the big, audacious vision that they had. I agree with going to the, one of the biggest investors on the planet. Right. I agree with starting a community. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what right. Shannon's trying to do. That's what Darius is trying to do. All of us. That's what you're trying to do. But at the same time, there's just this one thing that just breaks the whole model, which is that irresponsibility. It's right. that decadence. Yes. It's that lack of accountability. You know, It's that saying, I can do whatever the hell I want. There's yeah. no church versus state. It's whatever I dictate. And that's yeah. where things got murky. And that's where the correction was. Uh, except unless you were, you know, who, who walked away with, you know, a cool almost $2 billion. So, you know. Yeah, you know, um, I'm just, while you were talking, it reminded me of that other company, um, Theranos, is that the name? Where? Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yes. Right? It's just, I, I don't know, and I don't know if uh, I haven't done a case study on this, but it's like these people, and I just posted it on my LinkedIn, right? Where, so what's uh, the opposite of people-centricity? That's what that is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, exactly. <laughs> Uh, but it's like these people, big egos, I have this, yeah. you said, big egos, little ears, right? They're just, these are the people that I'm hoping the, you know, my, you know, me and others that we, our listeners will not become. We don't want the next generation of leaders to become like this. This is just, and I, that's another thing that, I, that uh, I've been researching more about is uh, servant leadership, right? Mm. You know, I serve, I lead to serve, I serve to lead, right? And it's, it's not a new concept. Um, I just wish more people followed it. Mm. And I think if that, you know, the WeWork executives follow that, they probably would have been in much better shape, probably would have taken the company public, still would have reaped the financial rewards um, and, and not be a, a case study on what not to do, right? It would have been a case study. We would have, you know, at Marshall School of Business, USC, we would all <laughs> study right. that, right? right. So, right. so it's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. Lead yeah. to serve and serve to lead. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Love that. So, um, is it okay if I give another plug of just something I'm doing proactively? Please, and, you know, please bring it, bring it. Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a, a new, I guess, a side venture project, and it's related to data. And I got together uh, with two very smart, intelligent women, uh, Andrea and Lee. They, they both happen to be six foot tall blondes. Uh, one's a data engineer and one's a data analyst. And we formed a, a group called Data Queens. And we just launched last week, so it's very new. And uh, we're, we're putting out videos, we're putting out, you know, best practices, we're putting out just our perspective of what the in data industry is like. And it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we're, we're not doing it for profit, maybe not yet, right? It's, it's about doing the right thing for at least now. And I just wanted just to mention that to, to the listeners, like, you know, if they have any interest in data, because data is the hot thing, or they're just getting started, um, we're, we're here to, you know, to, to help. We're here to give advice. We're here to talk about data challenges. And I just... I think it's a fantastic group because, um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, just the, their, their, their backgrounds, you know, when uh, Andrea is a data analyst, so she looks at, uh, you know, she's the bridge between business and IT, and she's looking to solve the business problems. But in order to get the data in the right shape, Lee is the data engineer, and she's sitting there wrangling and writing code to ensure the data is in the right pipeline. And so mm. we're, we're able to look end to end on, you know, how businesses can 
I think it was all your first question, how they can utilize data to make uh, better decisions. And then we're just tackling different topics around that. So just wanted to mention that to, to the listeners, uh, um, you know, Data Queens, if they want to follow us on LinkedIn. Um, also, we're, we're, we're trying to be hip. We have an Instagram as well, you know, Data Queens underscore IO. So check us out on Instagram. And, you know, it's, it's again, it's not for profit. We're just there to, to help the community. Now, have you considered starting a, a group around this, uh, like an actual digital group, like a Facebook group? Um, not Facebook. We, you know, it's just, it's just three of us right now. So we were, uh, you know, again, we just started last week. Hey, what, wait, why, what are you thinking with Facebook? Well, you know, we, we have a Facebook group and it's, it's actually one of the most engaging channels that we have as a company. Okay. And the reason why I think it's interesting is because it's all like-minded folks. Uh, most of them obviously use dub as a data, as a video platform. So, I mean, that, that's sort of maybe presupposed, but I think what's interesting is that the amount of conversations that are happening within our Facebook group mm. are probably 10x of any of our social channels. And the reason why that's happening, I think, is because Facebook has has gone really bullish on the whole groups movement. I think that they've realized that it's not about blood, it's not about friends and family and what our kids are doing, it's about our common interests are. And I think that, uh, you know, I encourage you, I invite you to check out the Facebook group platform and consider creating a group for Data Queens. Um, and really getting the conversation starting because you'll see it probably a 10x uh, increase over, over, over other things. I think at the end of the day, though, it all comes down to the content. You know, you yep. as a personality, Andrea, Lee, you guys have to be putting information on there uh, so that people are getting educated and getting value out of it, of course. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, we, we thought about that channel, the multi-channel strategy, right? Because LinkedIn, we want to keep it more business professional. Mm -hmm. Instagram yeah. has a little bit more liveliness. Um, but yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, how do we get them interacting, you know, in, in, in an environment where they can ask questions and not, you know, be judged or, you know, people flaming them, right? And I don't know what's that right. And it could be Facebook. But a lot of the things we're doing, you know, with, you know, I, I'm looking more from the business aspect because of the, you know, how we, how data can be applied, you know, to those businesses. I thought LinkedIn was the right channel, but maybe maybe um, people at work are going to Facebook. I, I don't know, because uh, like, like you, I'm kind of working from remote or I'm at the customer site, so I don't know if if Facebook is still the big uh, you know community. I thought maybe LinkedIn, they can have that up on the screen and when their boss walks by, no one's gonna be like, why are you on LinkedIn, right? I don't know, well, I right. if you're on Facebook. I mean, it's like, the, you remember, the, remember like, was it the uh, NCAA March Madness or, the, or something they had the boss button, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? You push the button, the button and then the screen changes, right? So um, I thought LinkedIn might be the better, you know, community where people would, would talk about that. But but yeah, I'll give that I'll give Facebook a try. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about it. I'll talk about it with the uh, with the data queens to see. Yeah, you know, I would encourage you to A B test a LinkedIn group and because you gotta have a group. I mean it, yeah. I mean this is what you're doing. You're creating a community. I mean yeah. that's the best place to start. Um, I'd invite you to have a, a LinkedIn group and then a Facebook group and then see and then post the same content for a week, two weeks, a month. Yeah. And then see what the engagement is. Um, but you you bring up a really good point that you can't really have Facebook open in the workplace. What's so funny about that is that Facebook has um, what is it called work workplace or workplaces where it's it's like sort of a community kind of Slack clone. I, I haven't seen it or used it, um, but Facebook thinks that they can tap into this whole business thing. But I think you bring up a good point <laughs> from a branding perspective. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but but I think I'd love to try that. So we actually did launch Instagram and LinkedIn at the same time and. I haven't, you know, I joke with Lee about it because she, she kind of does more of the Instagram stuff. And I'm at 117 followers. Uh, we're, at, we're at 117 followers at Data Queens and she uh, Instagram's at 116. So we're kind of like neck and neck. And 
Um, maybe Facebook will just be triple that. I don't know, but that's good. You know, um, putting some methodology, A/B testing behind this to see, and uh, maybe I'll publish the results and uh, let let your listeners know. Yeah, there you go. That, I think that'll be interesting. Put throw throw a comment in. We're going to share this on LinkedIn, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So amazing. Well, listen, Spencer, I I really appreciate the time here, man. This was a really interesting combo, man. We went deep. We we talked about data and we talked yeah. about you know big corporate america making terrible mistakes people centricity you know the importance wow. of engagement at the human individual level you know entrepreneurialism entrepreneurialism yeah you know making better choices so i really appreciate the time no i i do too as well and definitely you know if you, if you want to chat again i really or I, hopefully i'll get to meet you you're in culver city right you're just down the sh- or up the street yeah we're, so we're, at, we're actually in los angeles we're actually in hollywood and la brea yeah that's that's where oh, we're wow. based yeah, yeah yeah so next time you are in los angeles um we'd love to have you you know at dub headquarters which is of course the at, the, at the we work over here all right all right and we, we can grab a beer together and maybe someone will film us and we can look like the uh you know, we're, we're a part of that <laughs> part going on. Exactly. I'll get a surfboard hung on the wall. Everything will be great. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ruben. Thanks again, Spencer. All right. Take care. Bye-bye.